0: When we know our sins have been forgiven, that releases that burden from our shoulders, right? And everybody wants that burden lifted. That's why Jesus invited, Come unto me ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so uh, the idea that people still want that clear conscience led to this falling away. Any comments, questions? We began to talk about some of the very first things that uh, lent itself to the falling away. Now, when we look at the, the types of things of which Paul spoke, Peter taught against it, Jude taught against it, John taught against it, all these people. Now, what they were teaching against, and we've mentioned this before, but we need to kind of keep it in the forefront of our minds They were teaching against this movement of Gnosticism, okay, all knowing. Uh, Gnostic means knowledge. And so this faction of people began to teach that they had all the knowledge. And in fact, they had so much knowledge that they were stating that God could not inhabit the human form. And so when we, when we read against, uh, or read about John talking about, uh, uh, those types of things. If you remember in the bi- biographical account, the Gospel, John 1, he begins in the first three verses talking about the Word, how the Word uh, was God, the Word is God. And then you get over to verse 14, and it talks about how the Word manifests Himself in the form of Christ Jesus. And we beheld Him as, as He were the only begotten of the Father, and they could touch Him. And so that's, that was the point of, of what John was doing. His, uh, his gospel account was to prove the deity of Jesus that God can inhabit and manifest himself in the form of, uh, of a human. But had God ever done that in the past? Had He ever manifest and presented himself in the form of a human? I'm sure He had. Sure he had. The three strangers that came and visited Abraham, two were angels. They went on down into Sodom and the one stayed back. It was the Word, the second person of the Godhead. Uh, uh, When uh, Joshua uh, came before the, the captain of the hosts of the armies of God and he told him take off his shoes, he was on hallowed ground, he was dealing with the second person of the Godhead. And so, not only did God manifest Himself as, as the Christ in human form, He had done that periodically, okay? It wasn't something that, that was a, uh, you know, it was a, a, a one-time manifestation, as it were, up until the point Christ was born into the world. But He had still done that. So that's what John and Peter and, and Paul and Jude, they were fighting against that. So when we look at this idea of the falling away, and the first thing we think of, and not, not that this is necessarily wrong, but we begin to think of the Catholic Church, okay? Paul wasn't talking about the Catholic Church. Even when he said, forbidding to marry, what does that sound like? It sounds like the Catholic Church. Uh, uh, forbidding abstaining from certain meats, what does that sound like? Fish Friday, you know, how many of us in school, we had fish on Friday? I never put the connection together. It's a Catholic idea, okay? Not that that in itself is wrong, but that's where it originated. Now, Paul and the other apostles, inspired writers, they weren't talking about the Catholic Church. But the Catholic Church became the manifestation of this Gnosticism. Remember, what was Gnosticism? I know. I have knowledge. I know more than you know, right? In fact, Gnosticism says, I know more than God. Usurps the authority of God. What does that sound like? Well, that sounds like any man-made denomination, but particularly, that sounds like the Catholic Church. So while Paul and the other apostles were not specifically talking about the Catholic Church, I believe the Catholic Church was the manifestation of this Gnosticism. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when Paul warned them, the, the, the elders in Ephesus, Take heed over the flock which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Prior to that, he said uh, that false teachers would arise from among them. Talking about the eldership. That's exactly what happened when the Catholic Church began to uh, form itself in the early stages. And we talked about that. Uh, any comments or questions? Okay, we talked about uh, how the, the hierarchy began to happen. You had an eldership. You had uh, an elder that was chosen to chair a meeting. Still happens today. Nothing wrong with that. Well, eventually they had a permanent elder in each location to chair the meeting. Nothing in and of itself wrong with that. But then over time they began to call him the bishop. Okay, they began to differentiate and I'm going to put a timeline together for all this stuff so we'll be able to have a visual. But anyway, uh, they begin to differentiate the bishop from, from just a plain old elder or a presbyter. And so over time, you had the bishop here, the bishop there, and then over an area, they begin to have to have a guy who was kind of over the bishops. And so that's exactly how the Catholic Church was formed and how it's formed today. You have the Pope. You have cardinals over certain areas, right? Under them you have bishops and so on and on and on down to the, the priest and the father. Anyway, uh they began to hold these councils, these synods, okay? Uh the uh the Greeks and the, the uh Latins uh, one called them a synod, one called them a council. Well, they, what they, they would get these bishops together and they would begin to determine doctrine. What happens when you start changing God's doctrine? Does it just stop at that one point? No, this is an evolutionary snowball, right? Uh, now they they form these councils and these synods and now they're determining, well, what's doctrine and what's not doctrine. The the Baptist Southern Convention just met here days ago. They were trying to determine the role of women. God determined the role of women 6,000 years ago. Okay? The age of the earth. And so what authority does the Southern Baptist Convention have? Uh, Jane was telling us United Methodists, uh, I think it was United Methodists, there's different organizations, but anyway uh you know we're gonna we're going to embrace homosexuality and allow that to come in. Uh be priests and different things like that. So as a result of this evolutionary process, uh, you had what was known as the patriarchs. You had the main bishops in different areas ultimately forming into the main patriarch. The Prince of the Patriarchs, the Pope. And so now we're looking at uh, the different uh, changes to that. Now, over time, the Pope began to gain so much power that the Pope and the secular government, the king, wherever that might be, began to be in competition with one another, even so much that it was almost like a cloak and dagger. They were conspiring. They were trying to get the upper hand Now, we're talking about, you know, especially from the side of the person supposed to be religious, what's he thinking, right? I guess we kind of understand it with dictators. They want to get the upper hand, but with someone who claims to be a follower of God, that's what happens with sin in in departure, right? You you get offline, and you may just barely be offline here, but as the lines continue to go, you get further and further and further from the source, right? And so uh we begin to uh to see these things. Now uh Hildebrand, who later became Pope Gregory the Seventh, okay, he came to power in 1073. He stayed in power until 1085, okay? The religious hierarchy, the popes, they began to have to have bodyguards. They had to have, uh, people watching them all the time so someone would not assassinate them. You know, it's not been that long ago. Pope John Paul, was it, uh, Joe, uh, Pope John Paul II? When Reagan was president, they tried to assassinate him. He was shot. So it's still continuing on. But, uh, so, uh, but anyway, he was wholly dedicated, this Pope Gregory the Seventh was wholly dedicated to, sub, to subordinating the state to the church and, sub, and subjugating the church to the Pope. He wanted a theocracy. He wanted the state to answer to him. He wanted the church to answer to him. And that's what happened. That's what happened. That's not so much today like that. But does the Pope, does he have an enormous amount of power politically speaking? Absolutely, he's in his own country, right? Vatican City, it's its own, you know, we have an ambassador to Vatican City. He's been given an enormous amount of power. And, of course, that course, which Hildebrand pursued, continually grew and grew and grew, and uh, uh, aspiring pontiffs, they wanted to go in that same direction. <clears throat> they saw the power, okay? They saw the power. When Jesus was in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, he was being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. What was one of the temptations that Satan tried to use to tempt Jesus to sin? You remember he took him up onto a mountain in a moment of time and he showed him the entire kingdoms of all the world. So if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Power, right? Sure. He already was the ruler of all things. He created all things, according to John. He, he upheld all things by the word of His power. The writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 1. But, so Satan understands people have a thirst for power, right? And so, he tried to cause Jesus to fall <clears throat> by saying, I give you all this earthly power. We see it happening in the lives of these people. Within what has now become the Catholic Church. Any comments? I think that was kind of a foolish move on Satan's right heart because Christ already had the whole world. He should have tempted him with something a little different, I <laughs> think. No, it wasn't. It wasn't thankfully Christ was strong enough to lose it completely. that. Well, he understood that Satan was a father of lies in, in from the beginning, right? He couldn't give him anything. But, you know, uh people will trade their salvation to the lies of Satan, right? Happens all the time. So, uh, thankfully for us that he was able to overcome that. Now, these two powers that existed, the state and the church, became became a a universal struggle between the two. And it went on like that for years years and years and years and years and years. Always one trying to up the other. Uh, The popes would use strategy. They were shrewd in their diplomacy. Uh, In fact, they gained complete control over Western Europe. Complete control. And for years, the pope was understood and claimed to be the head of the Latin church. Okay? Now, we're going to get into it. There was some separation of, uh, uh, the church, the Catholic church for a period of time. You had the West and the East and, and you had two popes for a period of time. So we'll talk about that, but, uh, <clears throat> it finally melded into one. But, what happens when an organization of any kind, whatever we're talking about, gets a foothold of power? Do they just leave things the way they are and do we just keep going ahead just the way it is? They begin to change things. Right? They begin to enact laws. They see things from a different vantage point, something that might uh, benefit us. These people didn't realize, so we want to get every advantage. And so that's what began to happen. Uh, they began to uh, solidify their power. They began to enact laws. Now, in the 18 years in which Innocent III, and he was pope from 1198 to 1216, Uh, the papal institution began to flourish, and it really began to grow to its full splendor. And that's when they began to enact celibacy for priests. Uh, Why would that happen? What what good is that? Why, Why do that? They would be in more, more under the thumb of the Pope, right? They don't have any family. They're wholly dedicated to this church. And now all they have is those who are above them. That's why the whole celibacy thing came into existence. Were you ever influenced on John? Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah, you were. Husbands and wives influence each other, right? That's just the way it is. It's supposed to be that way, right? And so we we have to take that aspect out of the way. We have to take that out of the way. If we want to keep a, a priest who we call Father, and he's 25, we want to keep him under our thumb, let's take a wife out of the picture, right? That way you can't demonstrate any kind of a dedication or love towards someone else greater than the Pope, right? That causes all kinds of problems, doesn't it? It causes all kinds of problems. Has, has love ever caused any problems in the world? I mean, we have uh, novel after novel after novel of history written because someone loved uh, someone they shouldn't have loved, right? Even even our fiction, Romeo and Juliet, the whole premise is you're loving someone you shouldn't love. So the Pope was shrewd, he understood that. So let's take that equation. That part of the equation out of the equation. Now we don't have to worry so much about that, right? And so we can keep them in control a little better. Uh, this innocent the third, he uh became consumed with this idea of theocracy. So he began to build on what Gregory the Seventh was doing. He wanted to make it broader and greater and, and a bigger scope of that, right? And uh, uh, notice how things began to change within this, quote, clergy. Uh, they were more dedicated to this sovereign pope. In, initially, the pope said he was the vicar of Peter. He had Peter's power on earth because according to the Catholic Church, who was the first pope? Peter. Do you notice now that the Pope never says, I'm the vicar of Peter? What does he call himself? vicar of Christ. Now I'm going beyond Peter. I'm going to usurp the authority of God. So now I am God's authority on earth. Vicar means all the authority attributed to God is in that Pope. He absolves you from sin. We're going to talk about that. At any rate to uh to defend or to justify uh, his position, innocent the third argued the two swords of temporal and ecclesiastical power had both had been given to Peter and his successor, so you had the the religious authority and the civil authority, and both had been given to Peter, and he was the head of the church and so in his view, this is how uh, innocent described his relationship with the state. The king was to the pope as the moon was to the sun. Okay? A lower luminary shining because of the light of the greater luminary. Would the moon shine without the sun? No. It doesn't produce its own light. It reflects light. And that's what he said the king was. The king would only reflect the authority of the pope. And the, king, uh, uh, the pope had every right to, to throne and dethrone the king at his pleasure. So now they're really having some, some issues. And it was at that point that the pope claimed for himself to be the universal bishop. Okay, We have one guy in charge. Does that ever cause a problem? <clears throat> one guy in charge ever cause a problem? God knew that, didn't he? God knew that. Uh, the eldership. How many elderships have one elder? None that are faithful, right? None that are faithful. Because God understood that. Uh, complete power corrupts completely. Uh, and so um, that's, that's where we're... Uh, uh, where we're at with Innocent. Now let me uh, read a statement to you. <clears throat> After having lifted himself up to this lofty position, Innocent the Third said, "Jesus Christ will that the kingdom should be priestly and the priesthood kingly. Overall, he has set me as his vicar up on earth. So that began with Innocent the Third, so that as before Jesus, every knee shall bow." In like manner to his vicar all shall be obedient and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. How arrogant and blasphemous is that. You have to treat me like Christ. Because I'm in essence he said I am Christ, because I'm the one with his authority on earth. So he has put himself uh, in in uh Christ's position. Now, in addition to that. He applied the words of Jesus to himself when he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, claiming every human creature is in subjection to the Pope. Have you ever watched uh, the news? I used to watch it a little more than I do. It's hard for me to stomach uh, someone going up and kissing that Pope's ring. It Really uh, jerks me sideways to see that. Who is this fella, right? Uh, this pope that they have put into power now is way left of what came before him. It's ridiculous, okay? But anyway, I, I guess that's the least of, uh, of their problems. Now, uh, not only did... He assert his power as the Pope, he began to say he could absolve sins on earth. Now that's a striking fulfillment to what Paul said. Notice 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 4. <clears throat> Well, let's begin with verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So don't listen to the propaganda. Don't believe a false letter that says it was written by the hand of an apostle. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So he's talking about this falling away. He, What the question was, they thought that Christ's return was imminent. It's happening right now. You know, it's kind of like uh, we've seen it in the last, you know, 30 or 40 years, different, really longer than that, probably the last 100 years. Uh, going back to, to the establishment of the Sabbatarian organizations, people would the claim the Lord's coming, they go out and sell everything they had and give it away and uh wait for the Lord to come. Well that's kind of what was happening here. He says, don't listen to that. It's not going to happen. There has to be a falling away first. Number four, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped? So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Who's that sound like? Now, he's not talking about the Catholic Church. He's talking about the Gnostics. But what happened is the Catholic Church is the manifestation of this Gnosticism that happened. It's a telling statement, isn't it? And we learned that, that Paul was exactly right, of course. Any comments? Now... Uh, Let's talk about some of the particular fallings away that began to happen. When you began to have a corruption within a religious organization, let's say when the church began to be corrupted, everything in connection with Christianity began to be corrupted as well. Okay? <clears throat> now, one uh, prominent practice among the early departures was the substitution of infant baptism for the believer, okay? Now that practice originated in the 3rd century. So that goes way back. <coughs> excuse me. Prior to the full-blown uh uh Catholic Church. Now, why would that come about? What what would be the purpose? What's the purpose of baptism? Forgiveness of sin. So that is fully connected to this idea of inherited sin, right? This idea of original sin. Uh, now, we uh, talk about Calvinism. Cal- John Calvin didn't in, uh, uh, invent that. He just propagated it probably better than anybody else. So an infant child is born, original sin. He inherited the sin of his parents. So what happens if that child dies? going to a devil's hell for all eternity, an infant. And so what do we have to do? Well, we have to baptize that child, have that child forgiven of its sins. So, uh, you know, never mind what Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, right? Never mind that. That's just another, as you begin to corrupt, that's like one little step at a time, right? Uh, eventually you're a lot closer and, you know, just one more step. Well, over time, you had to take all these steps in between, so now they find themselves doing this. Well, that's not good enough. What about grown people? What about grown people who are too sick to get out of bed? What do we do with them? They want to obey the gospel, but can't get out of bed. What do you do? Pour a little water on them. It's called a fusion. Pour a little water on them, and that's that's good enough, right? Now, uh, many people put off baptism until death came knocking at the door. Until they thought, well, I'm getting so, excuse me, I'm getting so sick that now I'm gonna to have to do something. What's the problem with that? Does everybody just die because they get to be 120? Do young people ever die through accidents or disease or stuff that just happens and you don't know anything about it until it's over? Sure. So that's a problem with putting off salvation until right before death because we don't know when death's coming, right? And so, but people would do that. And so they get older, get to where they can't get around as well. So what do you do in a case like that? What do you do if someone who is extremely ill wants to obey the gospel? I've been in that situation. I visited with a fellow for a long time, studied with him for a long time. He was uh, hospitalized at the VA. Well, look, a government organization, especially at that time, not going to let you baptize anybody. You want any kind of religious thing going on in the VA. So I'd made arrangements for him to be baptized. And he said, well, I'm so old, I, just, I feel so bad, I don't really want to get my head underwater. What's What's the answer? Do we, well, we get a cup of water and just pour it on Him and say, that's baptism? What about the 80 years before that? When you had opportunity to obey the gospel. Does that please God? Does that make Him happy? Is Is He sitting on His throne ruling over creation saying, there you go, you're getting what you deserve? Not at all. He's heartbroken over that. But the law is the law, Right? The plan of salvation is the plan of salvation. So what do you do? You you carry out the plan of salvation in the way God said to carry it out. Okay. Well, what we're seeing here are these departures, right? Now uh, that's that was one departure. Yes, Brother Joe. <coughs> my question would be what would that affliction be I don't, know, I don't either i don't think there is one i don't think there is one i don't know if an affliction that anyone would have were water like oh well i mean if people are are a mental are you talking about a, like a mental handicap well sure they're not accountable Well, mental incapacity—you have to be able to believe. You have to be accountable, right? Unless you're accountable, that you're safe. You're safe. You don't need to be saved. You're safe. That's a child, right? Or some—you know, I've got an uncle in his seventies. He's safe. He's—he's a, he's a child mentally. Okay. They're—they're they're not an affliction. That would prevent someone. From being in water. That I can think of. You're born that way. Not that I can think of. Uh, but at any rate, here's the thing. We have to go to the scripture and we have to say, if someone is accountable, what is the process they have to go through to be saved? Have to believe. They have to repent. They have to confess. They have to be baptized in water for the remission of sin. That's an immersion in water. This fellow that I was studying with could have been baptized. He chose not to be baptized. I've helped carry people up steps into the water so they could be baptized. I know people who carried uh, uh, someone into the bathroom and immersed them in the bathtub so they could be baptized. Uh, I can't think of a, uh, uh, of a thing that would prevent someone who was uh, had their mental faculties to prevent them, because God is a fair and a just God. You know, someone says, well, they, they came down with this disease or that or this happened or that happened. That's not God's fault, right? We can't blame God for anything. He didn't cause sin to come into the world. Sin came into the world because humanity chose to sin. And as a result of that, bad things happen to good people. People get into a position where they feel like they can't breathe well and, and the thought of putting their head underwater is absolutely terrifying and they won't do it. When simply hold your breath, I'll pinch your nose, we'll put you under, we'll bring you up, it'll take one second, you know. You, you get down to the water's up to your chin, you go down, you come up, it's over, you've been immersed, you understand, but the fear and... That's Satan. He's saying, you don't have to do that. God will understand. No, what God understands is His plan of salvation. And, uh, you know, we're not trying to be harsh. We're just trying to look at the reality of it, right? Well, you know, that's it. That's a, that's a difficult concept. Uh, in, the, in the statement is, can, are you truly repenting if you're waiting up to the point you die? I don't know. Not for me to say. You know, not for me to say. Do I believe someone can repent? I think when you get scared, you think your time's up. You can definitely rethink your existence and try to figure out, say, hey, I've, I've messed up here. I need to do something. Now, you, now you, you know, nothing wrong with being afraid. Can fear be a, uh, a motivating factor in salvation? Well, James said, you, you, you know, uh, using fear to jerk them from the fire, right? That's not the only motivating factor, but it is a motivating factor. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, does it seem a little suspicious maybe? Well, maybe it does, you know. Uh, You know, it's kind of like the politician who apologizes because he got caught. You know, I have a very difficult time believing that fella, you know. But the good thing is this. I don't have to. All I have to do is take their word for it, right? We don't send out private investigators, do we? Someone comes in, they say, uh, you know, I I used to do this, this, or that, but I don't do it anymore. Whatever the situation, applied to whatever context, what does what does the church do? Well, we do our due diligence. I mean, obviously, if uh, you know someone's putting on uh, social media uh, their their sinful actions and it's known, well, I mean, that needs to be addressed, right? But if someone comes in and states a position and say. Uh, I'm living according to what the Bible says, and my situation used to be this, now it's not that anymore. What do we do? We've done our due diligence, you know, but we don't send out private investigators. Now, that's between them and God. If they've lied about it, they'll answer for it. But we've done our due diligence, but we still we don't hire private investigators and send them out to make sure that, you know... uh, Sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so is not shacked up still with someone else, right? I mean, that's just what we, my dad used to call it, right? You're living together, you're shacked up, make sure that, you know, have, have any, have, have people come out of sins like that before and become Christians? Well sure, murderers have become Christians, right? Any manner of sin that could be committed, people have repented of that and they've become Christians and so were all of them sincere? Well, probably not, but now that's between them and God, right? I can just go on what they say, what I see in them, can't read their minds, right? And we don't send out private investigators. Any comments? Absolutely. In other words, I don't answer for the sins my father committed. That's exactly what God was saying in Ezekiel. Uh, my dad didn't answer for what I did. So, you know, how can someone say, well, we inherited the sin of Adam? If the, if that's the case, and we look at the... Uh, uh, generations of Jesus in Luke chapter 3 it starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to God and so and so was the son of so and so was the son of so and so and Adam who was the son of God so where did Adam get his sin if that's if, if, if look if it's what they say it is it's original sin you got it from his father right well we know that can't be the case we know that can't be the case but that's a great point any other comments All right, we'll pick up here next time and we'll continue this departure. We're going to look at some departures surrounding the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about the confessional. We're going to talk about indulgences. And indulgences really kind of led to the Reformation movement. Anyway, thank you so much.